Welcome everyone, welcome to The Matter of the Heart. I'm your host, Carol Olivia Adams. Did you ever have a um, near-death experience? And if you did, did it change the priorities of your life? Did you reflect more on your life? Uh, did you just change your way of thinking about your life? Uh, did you value your life more? Um, I'm sure there had to be much, much reflection on what, um, on that type of experience. And relating to that, um, past lives, do you believe in past lives? I know I've, I've had many experiences of that. An example is I walked into an antique store with my niece. She was 10 years old and I didn't know what the item was. And she said, Aunt Carol, that's a, <laughs> that's a, uh, something a perfume snuffer which I never even I didn't know the name and she was only 10 years old so I couldn't help but but think how did she learn that where did she learn that from so uh today's show is with Dr. Bernie Siegel uh Dr. Bernie Siegel is uh, best known for his book Love Medicine and Miracles of course so many other books 365 prescriptions for the soul uh, I know you're working on a book now Bernie right um, and all of them, all of your uh, books and audio books and are on uh, BernieSiegelMD.com. So much to look at. So welcome to the show, Bernie. Thank you. Now, I, I, yeah. Let me just say, I mean, because the next book has a lot to do with what we're talking about. No beginnings, no endings. Um, you have to remember, the way I put it is we don't die. What dies is the body that we're given to get the work done, you know, in this life. Right. That's why one of the examples what you were talking about, I am convinced personally that when you see these kids, uh, it pops into my mind. I was watching TV and this little boy walks over to the piano. His head is about as high as the keys are. He swings his arms up and starts playing the piano. Now, you know, you could leave me there for three years and I can't do what he did. And, you know, so I know that within him is the experience of a pianist. So you see these kids singing, you know, one was on, you know, these evening programs where they're all competing, you know, America's Got Talent. And he said, oh, I saw a violin and I, I fell in love with it right away. And, you know, and yeah, there's something in him. So he grabs a violin and he's playing it. And again, I don't know whether he was 10 or 12 or something, but it's way beyond any explanation. Um, I had, as a kid, no interest in music. I was into art. And I'm sure that was a part of my, you know, past life um because music i just went nuts when my mother wanted me to play the piano all i did was drive the teacher crazy until she told my mother he doesn't want to play the piano there's no point in my coming here but if i could sit down and draw a picture fine and and even as an adult i started doing portraits uh, and the talent i don't know where it came from 
You know, I painted portraits of our family, grandchildren, everybody. And uh, it, it just felt so good. I don't know if I was, um, what's his name? Um, Starry Starry Night, um, Vincent Van Gogh. But I was always connected to him. I don't know if, you know, if I was part of Vincent in the past life, but there was just like a connection, you know, with his art and his beauty uh, to me versus music. Matter of fact, my mother-in-law was a, an opera singer, well-known in her time. And uh, they had a piano in the living room. So when I would go to get, take her daughter out on a date, I'd sit at the piano and she walked around the house closing all the windows. <clears throat> so one night I said to her, why do you close the windows at night? Because your singing is so horrible, I don't want the neighbors to hear you. <laughs> she said, if you're going to take my daughter out, you have to promise you will not sing in the house or the car. So I promised her. But, um, you know, it shows I had no idea. I, I couldn't hear a note, if you know what I mean, and repeat right. it. And yet some of our kids could walk over to the piano and play it. And I always said, if you left me there for three months, I couldn't do what he just did, you know, like that little pipsqueak on television. So I'd say to people to pay attention to your talents, your desires. Uh, there's something in you. And it's not crazy or nonsense because, again, back to near death. I mean, a part of what changed me is I've lived all these things. It's not as it really happened. So you see many books written by doctors who say, you know, Siegel's crazy, talking about past lives, and then they have it happen. And the next thing you know, like that book about the four-year-old, Heaven is for Real, because when this boy had an, almost died in the hospital uh, and then started telling the father about his experience, you know, going to heaven and, and knowing things that he couldn't have known, because I guess in their case, there was a sister born who died before he was born and he met his sister in heaven. Now he couldn't know about that. See, so when he tells something like that to his father, then it's like, wow, I can't deny this. And then the father writes a book and all these doctors then wrote books. And when I was four, I was in bed with a bad cold and ear infection. And there were men working in the house and I, was imitating them by taking my toilet apart. But I put pieces of it in my mouth because they were holding nails in their mouth. And then I aspirated them and was choking to death, which I always say is one of the most painful things I have ever experienced. Because your diaphragm, your ribs are sucking as hard as they can. I mean, the pain was incredible. And then suddenly I had no pain. Oh. And I realized, wow. yeah, you're not in your body anymore. Hmm. Yeah. You're not in your I'm up. The only way to describe it is like I'm up in the air floating around, you know, near the ceiling, looking down. Right. At, and the other thing that I found fascinating, I was about to say, looking down at the boy on the bed. I never said looking down at myself. As soon as I talked about it, it was always the boy on the bed. And I thought, why don't you say I was dying? Well, I wasn't, see, I was out of the body. The boy on the bed was dying. And I found that very interesting. 
that we are not our bodies. As I say, they are useful to us and we're given them for a purpose. Um, you know, it's like being God's instruments and being able to do things. But um, that is not us. So, and most children, let me just add this right. moment. Because imagine being four years old, like that boy whose father wrote the book or myself. I mean, what an experience. You know, it's wonderful. Right. And most kids will tell you that they, who the ones who didn't die, that's why they can tell you, tell you if they had a choice, they would have preferred death, except for the fact that it was going to hurt their parents to come in and find them dead. And I went through that too in my head, but I really said, well, I prefer being dead. And um, then I have an angel. I didn't know it until later in life. But that's another thing we can talk about because my impression was that the boy on the bed vomited. But I realized today somebody did a Heimlich maneuver on him, my angel, because suddenly out comes, you know, his stomach contents and all the pieces of toys uh, that I had swallowed out and he starts breathing again. And then I can tell you, it was like being sucked up by a vacuum. I was back inside and I said, the first words out of my mouth were, who did that? Because I was, <laughs> I wanted to die and, and somebody interfered. And I thought, well, God makes the decisions, kid. So stop, you know, arguing and just get back to it. And when my mother came in, she wasn't interested in what kind of a wonderful experience I had. You know, she was just so upset. What are you doing? You could have choked in the, you know. And right. So I never talked to anybody about it. But part of the reason I never talked is I thought, everybody must know about this. You know, it can't be unusual. If it happened to me, it's happened to others. Um, so I never walked around telling everybody what a wonderful, interesting thing happened to me. Um, but consciousness is what we have to realize. That's what doesn't die. Um, that has its own entity, its own power. And so it passes on. And when you die, that wisdom or trouble that you've lived and experienced can go to another person. And they, they can become a benefit to the world or they can become destructive uh, based on what's embedded in them. But um, there's and, no question. Yeah, yeah, do you think it can continues, uh, Bernie? Because uh, I know some uh, a Vedic astrologer once told me sometimes it stops. Do you think it uh, it continues from one life to the next, or eventually, yeah. what well, that soul has learned everything, maybe it doesn't go to the next. Yeah, it goes. The book I'm I'm having published by Hay House should be out next year, um, is no beginnings, no endings. Right. They, so, it, again, the consciousness just keeps going. That doesn't end. And the more it learns and the wiser it gets, the better it makes the future. I, I, I really, one day, what occurred to me was, if we all truly became lovers, loved life, loved each other, and I didn't say you have to like what happens, right. but love, we'd have heaven on earth, you know? Um, because you have everything you need in terms of how we treat each other, look at each other, everything else. 
and um, you know, that's us. So here we are. And I always feel that we're different for recognition, you know, not for conflict and wars and everything else. It's just absurd. Um, you know, that we're all one family. And uh, so it's no beginnings, no endings. I mean, I think it's all just a continuous cycle. And again, who you are today relates to that. Let me, if you want to hear what happened. See, all these things happened to me accidentally. I didn't go to hypnotherapists or psychiatrists and say, hey, I want to have a past life. I want to have a new, that, you know. Um, well, accidentally or synchronicity. Yeah, but they happened. Right. Well, this synchronicity, like I'm talking to you. Um, the phone rings one day. I pick it up. It's a friend of mine. I said to her, I'm very busy. I have an interview with Carol in a few minutes. I can't really talk now. And she said, why are you living this life? Telling me I'm too busy. I need to take care of myself. But her exact question was, why are you living this life? And I went into a trance because of that sentence. Hmm. I said to her, oh my God. I said, oh. She said, what's the matter? I said, I, I see myself standing with a sword in my hand, killing. Um, and it was like watching a screen with me on it. You know what I mean? It's like if, if you and I went to a movie and we right. were the actors, you'd be looking at yourself. Um, but this was so real, uh, seeing myself. And I said to her, oh my God, maybe that's why I'm a surgeon. That's the first thought that came into my head. Now I can help people with a knife. And then I said to her, you know, I have to go. I mean, I can't deal with this. So we hung up and I cleared my mind. But maybe a month or two later, I mean, the, the, the image and memory stayed with me. I was on a plane flying transcontinental and I just went into a trance and went back into being that night with a sword. And again, it was like watching the complete movie now. And I saw myself killing. I'm not gonna get into details because it gets to be too much, but I cried for hours. But again, the people that I, killed were in my life today. And the message I knew, because it was the message that everybody was always saying to me, Bernie, what do you need to uncover? What do you need to uncover? In paintings I did, where I was dressed as a surgeon, all covered up, um, just with doing a drawing for Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Bernie, what are you covering up? Why are you asking? It's a white piece of paper. You don't need a white crayon. What did you add a layer for? So everybody. And I realized what I needed to uncover was my spiritual self. Because even my shaved head, Carl Jung wrote about this. He said, monks shave their heads to uncover spirituality. That's it's a, you know, it's a special symbolic haircut. And everybody was telling me the same thing. So I realized what I needed to uncover was really my faith and to have the right Lord. Because when I went to get therapy and try to figure this out, James Hillman, the Jungian therapist, I walked in, I said, I was asked by my Lord to kill the neighbor's daughter. He said, Bernie, hear what you said? I said, no, I'm telling you. He said, you said, your Lord. I said, yes, yeah, the Lord of the castle. He said, no, Bernie, it's your Lord. Go home and relive this. Oh. And boy, in, in a couple of minutes, huh. he 
straightened me out because I went home and realized something I had always had conflict with. If you were Abraham and God said, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, I know I would have said, why don't you take me and leave the kid alone? Why didn't Abraham? Because he had faith. And I always, with a sense of humor, thought if I were Jesus, I would have pulled out all the nails, jumped down and said, hey, you dumbbells, look at what I just did. Look who I am. Now, will you listen to me? And he would have impressed everybody. But he knew that he was serving God, doing it in the way that God desired and the impact that it would have on the world and life. And those were the things I began to look at. So I learned that when my Lord said, go kill the neighbor's daughter, I said, okay, because he told me if I didn't, he'd kill me. So off I go. But when I relived it and said, okay, I'm going, he said, no, I just wanted to know you had faith in me and I want to resolve this problem and you bring those people here and we will you know, work it all out. And the solution was that the daughter I was supposed to kill and I got married. And then what they were fighting over was property and land. And that was our gift for the wedding. So there was nothing to fight over anymore. So everything got solved. Oh. I said yes and had faith. Yeah. Right. Well, that's very interesting. And it may sound crazy and made up, but believe me, right. None of that was anything I conceived of or did. All these images would just come to me when I was quiet and my mind was quiet. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Wow. <clears throat> so, um, go oh, and let me, I might as well mention, right? Because my patient, Monica, who's a mystic, just so you understand that what converted me, one day she came to my office and she said, Bernie, I've realized you're not a normal doctor. Right. So I asked my mystic friends who were having a meeting with me to get a message for you. And here's your message from Frank. If I'd known it was this easy, I'd have bought the package a long time ago and not have resisted so much. And I knew exactly who she was talking about. A patient of mine, right. Frank, had just died. So I called his wife and I said, I have a message if you want to hear it. I don't want to upset you. She said, no, tell me. So I said the sentence and she shrieked. I said, see, I didn't want to upset you. She said, you're not upsetting me. Those are his exact words when he would leave your support group. He said, I can't buy the package. And those are the things that opened my mind. So if Monica would come in with a message for me, I'd listen. And she has done it innumerable times, including when our family members have died and things that she can't know. Like when my wife died, Monica called a day later and said, Bernie, Bobby's fine. She's with her folks and your folks. And a woman who was an opera singer called to tell me that everything's all right. And Monica doesn't know, but my wife's mother was the opera singer. Now, how the hell can she, you know, but she had a talk with her. And those are the things that opened my mind. And then there were patients of mine who died and were resuscitated. And one, he was blind. When, see, that's what you have to realize. 
when you leave your body, you're not blind anymore. Oh, you, that's you it. think, you hear everything. Oh, yeah. Right. All the senses go with you. So here's this blind guy who's resuscitated, and he said to his wife, Oh my God, I was out of my body. It was wonderful. I could see. And she said, Honey, don't be crazy. Well, that's nuts. And he said, Oh, yeah. They told you to move out of the way. You went over and sat on the chair in the corner and you're wearing a blue dress. And the doctor's pen is under the bed. It fell out of his pocket while he was resuscitating me. All of that was totally true. And this guy's completely blind. Oh, <laughs> how interesting. Even his wife couldn't say, oh, how can I believe that? I mean, yeah. Very so, interesting. Yeah. So when he was on the other side, as you're saying, uh, well, it's a different yeah. sensation on the other side. That's right. He was uh, the spirit looking down, the consciousness looking down. Interesting. And there are a lot of families where people would come in to see me, and the patients would know that I was open-minded and would tell me crazy stories. And right. I'd come out of the examination, and I'd say to the family, oh, what a wonderful mother you have. And they'd look at me like, are you insane too? Because <laughs> their impression of their mother was, She's insane. All these things keep happening to her. And I out saying, what a wonderful woman. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's fascinating to me. Right. Keep your mind open. Right, right. That's right. the thing. So often, I mean, I find old magazines where people wrote articles about me. And, um, you know, what they're writing about is this crazy doctor you know, with all the beliefs he has and the things that are going on and uh, that we can't believe. So most of the article is some about me and then about the people who think I'm crazy and it can't be. And even way back when with Oprah, I was on the Oprah show, you know, because she loves stirring things up. She would have guests there without telling me who were other, you know, doctors and they'd sit there and tell me I'm crazy. But one day what was interesting one of them said to her, um, he said, I have photographic memory on page 252 in his book. He said this, 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 and that, you know, crazy. Right. I said, I never said that. What are you talking about? And Oprah opened one of my books and looked and said, that isn't there. And see, that was the part I learned. What people would see is what's in them. Right. They're not what I'm saying. They're not really listening. One doctor wrote a book when his wife developed cancer. He called it Healing Lessons. And he sent me a copy. And I'm looking through it, and I find suddenly on a page in the middle of the book, I want to apologize to Dr. Bernie Siegel. So I called him. I said, what are you apologizing to me for? I didn't, I didn't even know who you are. He said, I'm apologizing to you for what I thought of you. Now that my wife has cancer, you are an enormous help in all your work. Oh. And you're with us every night as we, you know, work to help her heal. And that, that is fascinating and, and so true. And uh, I always say doctors shouldn't be allowed to practice until they've been in the hospital for a week. They don't have to be sick, but just sit in a hospital yeah. bed and feel what it's like. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Yeah. See the interaction of the doctors, the nurses, the anesthesiologists, everybody. Let me, yeah. let me keep, I, it's hard to stop talking. Doctors have a high suicide, higher suicide rate than the general public. Right. You'd say, if you became a doctor to help people, why would you kill yourself? You got all this opportunity. But 
they're not doing it for healthy reasons and they can't handle disease and uh, the training is inadequate. And so they're committing suicide rather than saying, let me stay and help people. Um, and that was something never entered my mind. I wanted to help people. Yes, what, what do you want to cover up the pain that you can't help everybody? And as a surgeon, who do I remember? All the patients that had complications. I mean it. It's crazy that 20 years later, you still wish you were back in the operating room and that problem didn't happen. You know, I don't mean it killed people necessarily, but that they went through more suffering and more time in the hospital because of what happened with the surgery. And um, that's, again, what doctors aren't trained to do. Uh, and Jung put it this way years ago. He said, the diagnosis helps the doctor, but it doesn't help the patient. Right. There, the key thing is the story, for it alone shows human background and human suffering, and only at that point can the doctor's therapy begin to operate. When I read that sentence, it was like, wow, thank you. And other ways I've helped people, and anybody watching this or listening to this, when, when you have a problem, say to yourself, how would I describe it to someone else? What am I going through? See, if you said I have cancer of the colon, I'd say, that's not what I'm asking you. What's it like to have the cancer? What are you feeling? And then words come out of people. And I say, how do those words fit your life? Um, what you need to do, see, if they come up with a negative word, right. like pressure, right. uh, roadblock, right. uh, burning, right. um, right. I'd say, what else in your life fits that limit? And that helps them to heal. Now, if they come up with wake-up call, blessing, new beginning, fine. I say you're on the right road. You know, it's like your mortality made you wake up and you're living differently. Because that's the thing I also saw and was called crazy. You know, how can people uh, heal themselves? Doctors call it a spontaneous remission. See, it's like you're something lucky. Solzhenitsyn in his book, Cancer Ward, called it self-induced healing. And yep. the symbol was a rainbow-colored butterfly that you transform your life, get harmony into it, and you can be well. And that's what I realized. So many people who went home to die would show up in the office months later, free of cancer. What happened? <laughs> I mean, one lady. Oh, well, I guess uh, they didn't choose to die. They they went on their well, own. They, they choose, chose to enjoy the few months left that they were told. And that's why I'm laughing, because one lady ended with, now I'm so busy, I'm killing myself. Help, where do I go from here? Because she had gotten a dog, put in a backyard, wildlife habitat, her, you know, her list of things she did. And then she was driving herself nuts. So she came to me for help, but she didn't die. And the other was a guy who moved to Colorado to die in the mountains. I called up a year later to ask why they didn't call me for the funeral. And he answered the phone. His exact words were, it was so beautiful here, I forgot to die. I mean, there was a lawyer who became a violinist when he was told he's going to die because his parents refused to let him do that as a profession. So he became a lawyer to please them. And then when he's told he's going to die, he starts playing his violin, gets a job in an orchestra, and doesn't die. So, you know, I can't guarantee this to everybody, but I keep saying when your body knows your loving life, it acts very different. 
you know, Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. So when you switch and Monday becomes a day you enjoy, well, from George Harlow, he was, uh, he owned a Chicago football team, George Hallis. And I don't know, it was in some book I was reading where somebody said, I went to the building on Sunday to pick up something I forgot to bring home. And I see George, who's in his 80s, sitting in the office working. He said, George, what's wrong with you at your age, Sunday, being in the office, working? And he said, it's only work if there's someplace else you'd rather be. Oh. Now, you see, if that was true in everybody's life, we'd right. all be a hell of a lot healthier right. never working. Right, right, right. And, and it doesn't matter what you're doing. Right. Uh, Right. Uh, I've worked in, in Subway making sandwiches and one of our sons owned right. it. And I loved it because I was a doctor. When right. people came in and they said, I'd like a sandwich. I said, answer a question. I'll make you a sandwich. What's your question? How would you introduce yourself to God? What's the best day of your life? We'd get into therapy over the sandwich, you see. I and let me say this, why it shows you how sick some people are right. in the profession. I have a question. If you want a sandwich, you have to answer my question. Everyone who said, I'm not here to talk, was a psychotherapist. Oh. And I, I thought it was fascinating, because as soon as they'd say, I'm not here to talk, I'd say, oh, you're a therapist. How did you know? Because you don't want to talk. <laughs> That's that seemed fascinating to me. Right. You know? They were tired of talking. Yeah, right, right, right. right. You, well, then you must have gotten a good personality profile uh, because that's a very interesting story. Oh, yeah, it became therapy. That's why I loved it because right. the people who were sitting there eating would hear the next right. question right. and they would agree or disagree with that person and then they'd start talking to each other. So we had... Oh, I love that. And yeah, one day my son said to me, Dad, what? You're bad for business. Nobody leaves the store, so more people can't come in. <laughs> I love that story. Yeah, but I loved it because we were having group therapy. Oh, that's terrific. It's a great idea. I know. More but you, you have many ways. You know, it's like being a toll taker. Yeah, you, exactly. Yeah, if you want to go through, you got to answer a question. Right. Oh, I'll say step two. Uh, how can I help you when I pull up to the toll? Right. And they'll say, get out of the car, collect the tolls, and let me go home. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, anything that's like in a mechanical situation where people are used to, you switch it to the heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because if you make people laugh. Right. They never forget you. Right. And then even in the operating room, I used to do a lot of crazy things. Oh, I love those. To distract people right. from their fears. Right, right, right. I mean, just one line that I never forget and love, because this lady was in such a panic, I delayed surgery for over an hour because I was afraid, you know, she'd have something happen to her heart if we went ahead, because she was a wreck. Okay. And finally, I said to her, I can't wait anymore. We have to go ahead. I wheel her in the operating room and she looks around and says, thank God, all these wonderful people are going to take care of me. And I thought to myself, if I agree with her, what the hell's that going to do? She's just looking for reassurance. Right. So I leaned over and I said to her, look, 
I've worked with these people for years. They are not wonderful people. And of course, the staff, the nurses, the anesthesiologists, they're all laughing because they know Siegel's a nutcase. But she burst out laughing too. Right. Oh, that moment, you could feel the difference because right. you can't be afraid when you're laughing. And we became like a family. Right, We're right. all laughing together. Right. She sailed through everything after that. Right. Creates a bonding right. and, less, and a lighter energy and then more freedom to talk to each other. That's right. Now you're family. Exactly. The same way when the music was playing that I started doing years ago before that was in style. Um, how it helped people right? You know, to talk about uh, because sometimes crazy music would come on, you know, people would say, is everything all right? I'd say, why are you asking? Listen to the music. Amazing Grace was playing. Right, right, <laughs> you know, right. Things like that. Or Frank Sinatra, this one was wonderful. Is everything all right? Why are you asking? Listen, Frank Sinatra was singing all of me. Why not take all of me? Right. You know, so when things like that would happen, Everybody relaxed and the surgery went on with no trouble. Yeah. It's amazing how you can switch the mood, you know. I find that fascinating. That's why the hypnotherapy right. is, is really meaningful and powerful. Right. And, you know, because I did a lot of children's surgery and I call it deceiving people into health because I would tell parents how to lie to their children. Now, you'd say, why do you want them to lie? Well, if your child's in pain and you said, here, this is a wonderful pain pill, or your kid's getting chemotherapy and feels nauseated, here, this is for nausea, and you give them a vitamin and they say, oh, boy, I feel better now. That works very well, you know? Right, 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 and um, when the parents are saying it, or I, as a doctor, am saying it, they have faith in me. So right. they don't have a problem believing you um when you say that right right so your words are very important if you're going to administer any medication right. the way the words. Know, nurses especially right because again one of my lies to children i don't know how all these thoughts came in my head but you have an alcohol sponge right and it has to have an injection or blood drawn and they're so upset seeing a needle and i'd say oh don't worry this pad is a new one. It makes your skin numb as well as cleaning it. So don't worry, won't feel the needle. And I'd rub their skin, you know, very hard, make sure, oh, it'll go. Right, right, right. And you'd put the needle in and they'd say, why don't the other doctors do that? Right, right. You know? right. Yeah, and about I love that. Water, the kids would say, I felt it, but not painful. You know what I mean? They right. felt it. Pain. Yeah. So you I spend know. more time talking about the sponge, you know, the preparation of it, right. and not much word about the needle. Because yeah. the needle implies throughout his maybe something negative. So you're doing the positive. You're putting more emphasis with the prep work. Yeah, when I go get blood drawn, you know, annual physical and stuff, I always tell the uh, technologists, I say, member, say this to the kids especially. This is a new sponge. It'll numb your skin. Oh. And, you know, I know that right. three quarters of the people will be hypnotized and say, oh, that's neat. Thank you. Right. Yeah. Very interesting. That's why I call it deceiving people into health. I never mind lying to people for their benefit. Right. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that. I'm still going to, I still remember the, the Subway sandwich. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, and nobody's when, mad at you for lying if it's for their benefit. Right. You know? Right. Very interesting. Yeah. It's amazing how you can switch everything around. Yeah. And you as know? I say, the hypnotherapists understand that. See, part of the problem, I wrote an article and I sent it to a medical journal. Like all the things I'm telling you, including patients' drawings and different things and dreams. And I would get it, get it back and it said, this is interesting, but it's not appropriate for our journal. Right. That drove me nuts. You sent it to a high level medical journal and they're not gonna publish about a patient's experience. Right. So I sent it to a psychiatry journal. It came back again with exactly the opposite statement. This is appropriate to our journal, but it isn't interesting. We know all this. That's what's sad, you see, when you go to your doctor, and again, the doctor's treating the diagnosis, you know, I'm depressed. Right. Okay, here's a pill for depression. Right. Well, I, I mean, those are the ads in medical journals. I went to my doctor, I was depressed. I told him he prescribed this pill, you know, the ad that, and, right. I feel better now. I've written to those companies. I said, why don't you put down, I'm depressed, my husband died in an auto accident, can you help me? And then you can order the pill. But why, when they just say I'm depressed, okay, here's a pill. Why don't you say what's going on in your life? Right, 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 right. Well, yep, you're depressed maybe and um, take it and you'll feel much better when you look into your own life or, you know, uh, Maybe. Yeah, but the doctor should be treating right. your, you and your life, not the story. Yeah. The story of the patient who walks yeah. in. When the patient walks in and the doctor sees the patient, the patient is very vulnerable. Yeah. But um, there's, there's a story behind each person that walks in to discover. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I have to say that that's why growing up with the right parents and with love, Right. Such an enormous difference. Right. Your life and how you handle everything. But many people don't have that experience, Bernie. That's right. So how can they, you've had it, but many, well, I think I learned, because really all the headlines in the papers today are people who did not feel love, they felt rejection, right. and now they're killing people in revenge. Right. What they went through. I didn't grow up with rejection. I grew up with love and what I call mottos to live by. Right. And, and I really feel, I've written letters to the editor, they don't all get published, but we need to have parenting classes. When somebody goes to an obstetrician and says, I'm going to have a, they say, okay, you know, here's a class that you have to attend. And you're taught how to help them grow up. And right. they're mottos to live by. Um, That's terrific. Yeah. I had a terrible day. God is re redirecting you. Right, Something right, right. will come of this. What should I be when I grow up? Do what makes you happy. Right. Oh, I just won the lottery. What should I do? Right, Make right. it a better world for everybody. Right. You know, it, so that it's not ego and self. It's helping the world. Right. No, that's that. I love that. A parenting classes. George Carlin had a great skit on that skit on that he said you can the parents don't always have to be respected because maybe some of them shouldn't be respected you know what 
Yeah. What I learned is what I call, um, oh dear, I, I made people an attitude pin. It was a word attitude. Right. You pinned it on. And one couple, I loved what they did because the wife said, when my husband isn't doing what's good for him, he had cancer, I go over and I twist the pin. I say, straighten your attitude out. So oh. she was coaching him, not criticizing him. See, that's why if you're a life coach, you help people. Right. You don't say, what a horrible kid you are. What the hell's wrong with you? Look at your room. You know, you go in, you say, hey, look, let's get this place organized. It'd be much better. And, you know, so you, I've said to our kids, I don't like what you're doing, but I love you. And so they had ways to readjust me. Dad, what is it? You're not in the operating room now. That was their attitude button. See, if they didn't like how I was behaving, being too bossy or something, you're not in the operating room now. Uh, my wife's way of controlling me, you're so handsome when you're angry. Oh, that I loved it. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, she was so good, because I would bust out with a smile, you're so handsome when you're angry. Or she'd say, if I made too much noise, you're upsetting our pets, you know, because they'd be looking at me, wondering what's wrong with him. Right, right. She's never criticizing me, but she would say something and it would break the conflict and right, everything. Right, yeah, right, start right. again with a smile. Right. And my big one that many people have heard from others, you'd say to the kids, you know why we had five? Your mother and I will never get a divorce. Why not, Dad? Because neither one of us wants the children. And then they'd know, uh-oh, we better quiet down. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's at that place. I love the concept of parenting classes. Yeah, I really think it would you know, be that, so good. That's necessary. Because yeah. you know, a lot of times parents think they have the authority and that whatever they say is right. Yeah, I'm in charge here, right. Yeah. Exactly. And but, that's not always the case. Right. A lot of times the children have more wisdom than the parent. Absolutely. There's one more I got to mention because it got us to bust out laughing. The five kids are raising hell in the kitchen and we were about, my wife was making dinner and I said, you may choose peace or you may choose conflict. And our daughter who was hearing impaired said, I'll have pizza. And then everybody busted out laughing. And that's when you see the trouble disappear. Nobody could be in an argument or fighting at the table once she said, I'll have a pizza. And that's not what I said. <laughs> That's very sweet. And it's creating the nurturing, the food right. and the home and the sacred space. That's beautiful. Really beautiful, Bernie. Well, we are, uh, I know you said you have a book coming up uh, the beginning of the year, but uh, before the beginning of the year, I highly recommend reading any and all yeah. really Bernie's books. I've read Love Medicine Miracles about three or four times. Well, I, I still have on my desk for every morning uh -huh. 65 prescriptions for the soul. Yes, I, and, I have that too. I, mean, I, I don't know where all my wisdom came from. I keep finding journals too that I wrote decades ago that are in the house, you know, that were put, put away. Right. Suddenly you clean in the house and you find them. And it's, it's just amazing that when you're sharing your feelings and your wisdom, yeah, it's 15 years since uh, 365 prescriptions. And it's still like a new book to me. 
And let me mention one that, because I thought you were saying, how do you help people? And, and I went off on another subject. There was a suicidal kid in the office and she said to me one day, you're my CD. I said, what the hell are you talking about? I'm a CD. She said, you're my chosen dad. And that empowered me mm -hmm. with other kids I, and, and adults. I said, you need a father, I'll be your father. I may not like what you're doing, just have to understand that, but I will love you. And literally, there are suicidal people alive today because they came to me to help them end their lives. I don't mean like Kevorkian, but you know, that they were looking for ways to end their life and they wanted support in doing it. And I would say, I love you, you're a child of God. And then they switched over and are alive today. And, and my children, you know what I mean? We still email and, and then one day, that's why what's in this book that, that it was a shock to me to reread it, having forgotten it, because it happened probably 25 or more years ago. We were in Cape Cod, traffic in the summer was horrible. A young man in the car behind us with his girlfriend was screaming at us. We were the car in front of him, cursing, shouting. I mean, he was just horrible. And I got out of my car because there was a cop on the corner directing traffic. I said, can you tell him to be quiet? And I couldn't believe the cop said to me, that's not my job. It was ridiculous what this guy was screaming. So I said to our kids, I said, I'm going to go talk to him. Oh, daddy, can I have a gun? Please don't get in the car because the kids know me and how crazy I am. But I went over to his car and I said to him, his window was down. I said, I want you to know something. I love you. <laughs> I love I'm sorry your parents don't. Right. Oh, I love that. He stopped screaming, backed up, made a U-turn and drove away. Oh. I hope he went home and said to his parents. Right. You don't love me and that they talked about it. Oh, yeah. isn't I know he didn't go home and kill his parents. He right. Was headline. But it was like I hit him in the head with a mallet. Right, right, right. I love you. Right, you got to, to the depths of his heart. Yeah, and he turned around and left. And I've done that to some violent people on the street, and it has worked every time. Really? And I, say, I don't know, yeah. I go over, because people, you know, begin to get nervous. They don't know if they're carrying a gun or what's happening. Right, right. This was years ago before all our violence today. Right, right. Uh, and I said, I don't know what's going on in your life, but I want you to know I love you. And they have always turned and walked away and stopped screaming. Now, could they have had a gun? Yeah, but they all left. And all the people in the street would come over and say, oh, thank you. My God, thank you. I can't believe what you said and what you did. Thank you. Yeah. You and know, I always say I'd ra rather die loving somebody right. than hating them. Isn't that interesting? So, you so I tell people, be a love warrior. That's my term. Right, right, right. Love is a weapon. Isn't that? So you really touched them. You caught them off guard. Yeah. And you hit home. And the love really right. had an impact. Right. Maybe they never heard the word before. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know? I, I say love warrior when people are driving you crazy. Right. I, mean, I mean it even in a humorous way sometimes. Because again, I pull into a parking space to go shopping. And some guy in, in the nearby car starts screaming at me that I'm waiting for that space. That's my space. He's big, I'm right. So I lower my window and I say, I love you. <laughs> and they always drive away. <laughs> it's not just that they stop yelling, they all leave. And the <laughs> most fun is then you go into stop and shop and you walk down the aisle and who's at the other end of the aisle the guy who was cursing and screaming at you. It's so funny. Rarely do they come up to me and keep talking. Usually they see me and they turn around and run into another aisle. <laughs> like, remember me. And I don't make up any of these stories. They really happen. I always say I love to go to stop and shop for therapy because everybody there is wounded. Oh. One lady poked me in the back one day get a bandage over her eye. So as a surgeon, you know, I'm not impressed. And she said, you are the only person in Stop and Chop who hasn't asked me what happened. Oh. That, that taught me something, see? She has a visible wound, so all the other wounded people talk to her. And I said to her, because I know what happened, I have an abusive spouse also. Right. And then you know what to say to me, because right. me and my crazy sense of humor. But that, I always say to people, you want to know the people you work with better? Put a bandage over part of your body and go to work and watch what they talk to you about that they've never talked about before, all their troubles. Yeah. Oh, it hits home. It really works. It hits home. Their own stuff. Yep. And maybe even a little empathy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a good one. That's a very interesting one. Reflects on them, reflects on the other. Wow, fascinating, yeah. You know, I think uh, you mentioned 365 prescriptions for the soul and uh, it's a great book uh, for anybody really to just open up anywhere. Page yeah. 15, page 11, I remember baseball. Yeah, I love so, baseball. Well, you say synchronicity and no coincidences. If you're having a problem, you may pop it open, and that's right. what you and need to read that day. Yeah, exactly. The quote of the day, or the wisdom. I call it more the wisdom of the day, channeled energy. It's fascinating to me, because I don't know how I collected all this or knew someone. I mean, I know people were helping me, but right. You know, I'm impressed with some of the things I said. Right. Because it's coming from a deeper place in me. You know, right. And that would be great to do another show on, Bernie. I still remember baseball, no quit, right? Yeah. Yeah, the other, let me just say, it, it's not the only book I look at. I mean, there's something here by Susan Hayward, A Guide for the Advanced Soul. I read Zen, my old journals. Um, you know, people who've gotten over life-threatening illnesses. Uh, all, all these books are here. So I peek at them and... They focus me. What's a book on life-threatening illnesses that you uh, you have there? No, well, this there's one. I used to have cancer. They, right. Uh, what's this one? You are what you think from Wayne Dyer. Right. Um, and just all kinds of books from professionals and people who've experienced it. Right. 
Yeah, somebody should write. Maybe somebody. And, and the truth is, they all have the common themes. That's what I try to get across to people. It's not each book is totally different. Each book is really the same. Right. It's common themes that work and heal us, and we we discover them for different reasons. You see, I mean, right. you could find it in the Bible. Uh, yeah, I'm often like Jesus said, "It is done unto you as you believe." And I'm talking to people about their feelings and what they believe. And, you know, and, and so you find none of this is new. It was all stated thousands of years ago. Maimonides, if people took as good care of themselves, they do their animals, they'd suffer fewer illnesses. That's true. And disease is a loss of health. Right. So you help people find what they've lost. Right. Because there are other people who say, oh, God wants me to have cancer. And ministers who tell them. Yeah, God gave you cancer to bring you back to church. I mean, so there's the guilt side and the other, you know, the healing side. And people have to know uh, they can be, you might say, educated in the wrong way. Right, uh, right, educated yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's, a whole, that's a whole book. Right. Self educated in the wrong way, you know? Why yeah. keep writing? Yeah, that right. <laughs> Okay, Bernie. <laughs> That's your therapy. Right. Right? Yeah, when you write, you also get it out of you. No you learn question. You get to a higher self. And, and you, you don't know. If you said journal is therapeutic. Exactly. And you just said 365. You don't know where it came right. from. It, it was there. It was yeah. in you. But right. it came out. Right. Uh, maybe who knows how many layers it was stored, but it came out. Wow, thanks so much, uh, Dr. Bernie Siegel. Okay. Uh, BernieSiegelMD.com. Would you like any, your closing thought? Any closing? Oh, I, I would say that I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I'm lousy at advertising myself, but BernieSiegelMD.com. You can go there, you know, read some of these articles that I was talking about and look at the books and order them and everything else. But really, you know, be your own therapist too. Go out and seek help. Right. I totally agree with that. Be your own therapist. Yeah. Follow the signs that, that God gives to you. Synchronicity. Right. And you might not need to go to so many healers, different healers. That's right. The healer is within you. You can join groups, talk to friends. Right. All those things. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Have Good a night, peaceful day. Uh, this has been The Matter of the Heart with Carol Olivia and Dr. Bernie Siegel.